0: We consider this morning for our sermon come from the opening chapters of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. You can find it in your worship folder on the screens or on page 4 of your Pew Bibles. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. Between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This is the word of our God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On hot summer days like this, I'm taken back to my childhood when we used to play fun pool games, one of which was Marco Polo. You play that in this part of the world, right? Marco Polo. Okay, most of you probably know the, the gist of the game. You, you're in the pool and obviously staying cool, and you have someone who is, who is seeking the other players, and they have to close their eyes. And the way that they're able to find the the other people is to cry out, Marco! To which everybody else will say, Okay, and then in kind of one of those bat echolocation type of things, you're able to to discern where that sound came from and hopefully be able to catch one or more of the people. And, And it's that game where the person saying Marco is really asking that question, where are you where are you? This, among other games, are what many children around the world play so frequently. But it's just that. It's just a game, isn't it? Eventually, the game will end when the, the person who is seeking eventually finds one or, or all of the people or, or maybe just gives up entirely and then the, the game starts over again. But that's not the only time and place where you hear that phrase, where are you, being spoken. You can hear it be said by a parent who's checking in on their their kids after curfew and they, they give them a phone call and they say, where are you? Or maybe when the family who's just lost a pet is searching the neighborhood saying, Fluffy, where are you? Where are you? But you can also hear that question when people ask it of God. God, where are you? Where are you, God, is asked by any number of people any number of times. And and most often it's when things are not going the way that they feel that their life should be going. When God seems to be absent, when bad things seem to happen to good people, we ask that question, God, where are you in all of this mess? One of the things I want us to realize, whether you've asked that question or not, whether you know people who have asked that question or not, is to realize that we've really been thinking about it the wrong way. That we are not so much the people that are going to be asking God, where are you, but rather, God's the one who's been asking us that. Because when we ask that question, where are you, God, it's not that God is lost. It's that we are. Think about it. When we ask that question, when life isn't going the way we want it to go, we ask it because we are not in control of the situation. We cannot do anything to change that situation. And yet what obligation does God have to answer us? God has no obligation to answer us. We have not done anything worthwhile for God that he should say, you know what, I've got to repay them now. I'll, I'll tell them where I am. But when God asks us that question, of, where are you, we are under an obligation to answer his question. And the way we answer his question is of vital importance. Now, as we look out at the world around us, it's quite easy to see that there's a lot of places where things are not right. Whether it's this whole coronavirus pandemic and everything surrounding it, from vaccines to masking, whether it's the racial unrest, whether it's the broken families, the the rising crime rates, you can think of any number of problems a a mile long of ways that this world is not great, of, of reasons why you could ask God, where are you, God, Before we answer that question, we also need to realize, do we really want to know where God is? Do we really want to be face-to-face with the Holy God? Because we can go back to a time at the beginning of the world's history, when it was not the way that it is today, when there actually were no problems, is what I described in the children's message just a few moments ago. When God created the the world, we hear that in Genesis 1 and 2. He created the world perfectly. He made two people, Adam and Eve, and He placed them into a perfect garden. Two perfect people in a perfect garden, in a perfect world, in a perfect relationship with perfect worship of God. And they worship God in a very unique way, a way completely foreign to us. They didn't go to church on a Sunday morning. They didn't listen to a preacher preach a 20-minute sermon. But instead, the way they worshiped God was at the foot of a tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was their church. They could go there and they could worship God by obeying His commandment. The one command that He gave to them, do not eat from this tree. And in that perfect world, there was no need to ask that question where are you? We don't know how long that perfect world stayed that way for, and neither is that important. But what we do know is revealed to us in Genesis chapter 3 that the devil came about in the form of a serpent, and he he got Adam and Eve to question God and his goodness rather than. Trust in him. And just like that, the perfect world was shattered. Adam and Eve ate from that forbidden fruit. And then we see that it was not Adam and Eve who asked that first question, Where are you, God? But rather it was God asking that question to them. Adam, Eve, Where are you? We heard that in the first verses of our reading today. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The very first game of hide-and-seek. And Adam and Eve were not very good at it. They wanted nothing to do with God. After they had broken His one command, they were feeling something they had never felt before. They were feeling guilty. They were feeling ashamed. They were feeling that they did not want to be in God's presence, and so they hid. They were the ones who were hiding. It was God who was asking that question: "Of where are you?" Adam must have sensed that he couldn't hide from God forever. But we also see the drastic impact that sin had. That instead of trying to hide forever, instead of coming clean with what he had done, Adam pretty much made an excuse for why he was hiding. He said, God, it wouldn't be proper and it wouldn't be right for me to appear in your presence while I was naked. Right there, Adam admitted to his sin, but he didn't really confess it. And God wasn't going to let that stand. And so instead, he asked Adam another pressing question. Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now, God, of course, knew the answer to these questions. It's not like God was in the dark. But with these questions, he was allowing Adam to be able to figure out that answer for himself, to admit it to himself. He was giving Adam an opportunity to confess his sins. But like any good politician, Adam did not answer God's question with a simple yes or no. He was allergic to confession. He hated now to confess his guilt. He hated to admit that he was wrong. This is what the sinful nature does in each and every one of us, going to irrational lengths to be able to avoid blame. And so this is what Adam said. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. In Adam's twisted, sinful mind, he pushed the blame for his actions as far away from himself as possible. He pushed it onto his wife Eve. And also, he pushed it onto God. God, if you had not given me Eve, this never would have happened. How depraved and how twisted of a mind do you have to have to blame God for your problems? We couldn't blame God if he would have simply smote Adam, burnt him to a crisp. How dare Adam dishonor God in that way? And yet we also need to be quick to hold our tongue. Because that cycle of sin and blame and and, and avoiding blame has spiraled down in the generations since then and has come to rest with you and with me. It's easy for us to, to see Adam's sin, and it's easy for us to see Adam's poor excuse for sin in the pages of Scripture, which millions, if not billions of people have read over the course of centuries. It's easy for us to criticize Adam for his thoughts and actions. Yet doesn't that make us just like him? How often have you heard this or something like it? If Adam and Eve wouldn't have sinned, We'd have a much better world today. See, a few smiles gone. Must be hitting the bell somewhere. Yeah. Or, I used to think as a kid, and granted this is the warped sinful mind coming in, oh, if Adam would have just resisted his wife's temptation, then it would have been the women that are imperfect and the men that are perfect. Wow, that would be a different world that we are today. But again, doesn't that make us just like Adam. Avoiding the blame for our own actions. That yes, in part, the reason we hide from God is because of Adam and Eve's sin. But we also hide from God because of my own sin. We do a really good job of hiding. Maybe not so much from God, but we do a really good job of hiding it from other people. We put on that mask when we get out, get, get out of the house in the morning, the mask that says everything is okay in my life and nothing is wrong. We hide our thoughts and our feelings from so many people except maybe a few close friends or loved ones. Or how often have we found ourselves talking with someone or, or seeing someone from across the room and we have those thoughts that we would not want anyone else to see. Either out of shame or embarrassment? How many of us would want eyes on what goes on in our family behind closed doors? What would people think of me if they knew what I did in my past? Or maybe knew what I didn't do in my past? And the reason that we're so good at hiding is because we don't like to confess our guilt We don't like to confess that we're wrong. We don't like to confess that we've made a mistake. And even that pet sin, the sin that I keep going back to again and again because it gives me comfort, even that I'm afraid to confess because I know if I confess it, I'll have to be held accountable to it and I might actually have to stop doing it. And that's not something that I want to give up. And so we make excuses. And more excuses. We make excuses for the things that we've done. I've made excuses for the times that I've gotten angry and said, if only my kids would have listened to me, I wouldn't have gotten angry. Make excuses. If I wasn't so stressed, I wouldn't have done that. Sometimes even in our own warped, sinful mind, have we blamed God? God, you're the one who made me this way. You're the one who gave me a, a, the, to be more susceptible to that particular temptation. We almost rest secure in the fact that, well, I'm a sinner. What do you expect me to do? Not sin? God, it's your fault. We find ourselves in the very same place that Adam found himself trying to make excuses for our sin, but knowing deep down those excuses don't hold any water. And so we continue to hide. Hide in our sin, wanting nothing to do with a holy God. But when Adam wanted nothing to do with a holy God, God wanted everything to do with Adam. Just as God wants everything to do with us, And so instead of punishing them or expressing anger or disappointment, instead of giving them the silent treatment until they confess their sins, instead of compelling them to confess their sins, God does something completely unexpected. He gives them a promise. Not a promise that they were supposed to keep, but a promise that He would keep. A promise about grace, a promise about mercy. We can see that in the name used for God in this section. Four times in these short verses, the name the Lord is used. The Lord, the God of grace, the God of mercy. Because once Adam and Eve had broken that perfect relationship they had with God, once they had broken their perfect worship life, they were unable to fix it. It's like throwing a baseball through a window. You are not able to take those broken pieces of glass and fit them back together again. And so instead, God had to be the one to step in. God had to be the one to fix it. And He fixed it by giving them that promise to send a Savior, a Savior who would make all things right. And it's that Savior that makes all the difference in the world. So when we look out at this world and we see how broken it is, and yes, it is broken. When we are tempted to ask that question of where are you, God, when things aren't going right in my life or when bad things happen to good people, we only need to look back to that first promise. Where are you, God? He is right where he said he was going to be. Sending his son to die on the cross, that is where God is is because of that god sees us completely differently because of that god no longer sees us as sinners who sin but he sees us as his own children bought back and brought back into a relationship with him and it's because of this savior that we no longer need to hide away from god in our sins We don't no longer need to be afraid of confessing our sins for fear of the guilt and shame that that will bring upon us because that guilt and shame has been taken care of by Jesus. And so we are free to come into the presence of God, letting go of or confessing our sins with no desire or need to go back to them anymore because what God offers to us is far greater than anything that those sins could ever provide. Instead of clinging on to our sins, we can let go. Instead of hiding, we can come into the light. Instead of being afraid and ashamed, we can be bold. All this because God came to Adam and Eve and asked that first question, Where are you? And he asks that question to us. And we can answer. We were lost and hidden in sin, but now have been found by grace. Amen. Now may he who began a good work in you carry it out to completion on the day of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.